Hi everyone, hope everyone's doing great. Um, so in this week's episode, I compared last mile grocery delivery apps here in the US and give my verdict. Um, essentially, which of them can deliver a box of Clorox wipes. Um, plus, I'm introducing a new section in this podcast called How It's Built. Uh, intention of this section is to break down a popular feature in an app and talk about how it's built, why uh, was it built in the first place, and all the metrics behind that feature that may indicate a secret agenda. So let's begin with how it's built. And the first feature in this series is Netflix's top 10 list. Netflix launched this feature in February earlier this year and was instantly popular. Uh, from a Netflix user point of view, one research in the UK showed we're likely to spend 187 hours in a year or roughly about 3.5 hours in a week looking for content to watch. It wasn't a problem a few years earlier, but now Netflix is on average releasing one show or a movie every day as per 2019 stats. And this supply is only going to keep increasing as we stay more and more indoors and work remote. To compare that with YouTube, um, you have subscriptions on YouTube that kind of makes the personalization job easier. Uh, for Netflix, however, um, they have to solve this problem of menu fatigue and um, so that we, you know, that, that so that we don't spend so much time searching for content, uh, searching for something to watch. So what does Netflix top 10 really achieve? At the outset, it seems like an interesting feature. It shows the top 10 shows watched by other Netflix users across the country that you live in. So this introduces a social characteristic to Netflix and encourages us to at least consider watching these shows as they're being binged by others in your country. Think about the last Netflix show you watched prior to when this feature was launched. Um, who recommended that show to you? Uh, was it your neighbor? Was it your family member? In most cases, it's word of mouth or you follow someone on Twitter or Facebook. Uh, they mention about it or you watched the trailer on YouTube um, or you follow Netflix on YouTube and you watch the trailer there. I think the top 10 connects all of this in my view and is super useful in finding your next binge. The top 10 list feature was launched by Netflix in February. Um, and but But if you actually think about this, if they had launched the feature in January, a month ahead or a month prior, you would have actually seen a completely different list of shows on that list. Uh, shows and movies that were really, really popular. Um, and that would have been the true indication of popular shows on Netflix. And so that goes to the question, what happened in January and what um, led them to actually release this feature? Um, and, and, and to understand that, we need also need to understand what makes a view uh, in Netflix. Uh, in other words, what makes a show popular? So some simple math here. So according to Netflix in January 2020, if you watched a TV show or movie for more than 70% of its duration, it's considered one view. So when you just rank TV shows and movies descending order by views, you have the top 10 list. It's, it's as simple as that. Now, you might want an equal distribution of TV shows and movies in the top 10, and you could alter the list based on that restriction. Um, so you could restrict the TV show and the movie category uh, to five each. And and so um, and, and, and you could just roll out that feature. But in early tests, I am convinced that what must have happened is none of the new TV shows and movies Netflix launched would have shown up in the top 10. So think about it. Popularity of House of Cards peaked in its season two. Ozark's popularity peaked after season three in March 2020. Netflix, I believe, had a secret agenda with the top 10 feature list. 
What if they wanted to use this feature to promote their latest TV shows and movies? It would give binge watchers the impression that they're about to watch something very popular in the country. Um, and just exploring this f- uh, even further, uh, take a look at the relative popularity of Love is Blind, a reality dating TV show on Netflix, um, and compare that with Ozark. The dating show features top three in the all-time top 10 list since the February feature launch. But if you look up the overall popularity of the dating show outside of Netflix, it's relatively half of what Ozark achieved. To me, um, this shows that Love is Blind became popular on Netflix primarily due to the top 10 feature. And now let's go back to what Netflix did in January 2020. One month exactly before the launch of the top 10 feature, they changed the definition of what a view is. It was no longer going to be 70% of the duration of a TV show or movie. It was actually going to be two minutes, just two minutes. They claimed in the shareholder announcement that two minutes is the duration it takes for someone to continue watching the TV show or movie intentionally. I think the real reason we have a view as two minutes is down to the length of its auto preview feature in the app. So when you open the app, you're hit with feature previews that resemble Snapchat or FB stories. Those last for just over two minutes as do trailers of most TV shows and movies. You can go ahead and look them up. That is a real reason why I think Netflix changed its one view definition to two minutes. And the top 10 feature came exactly one month later that leverages the number of views. And as a result, creates this flywheel that when you launch a TV show or a movie, it gets featured, you watch the preview, it gets watched for two minutes, that gets featured in the top 10 list, and people then latch on to that TV show or movie and, and continue to watch it. One way to improve this feature would be to probably show top 10 shows among users who are similar to me. For example, if I like cars and there are others who like cars, could you show me the top 10 shows and movies that are watched by car geeks? Not necessarily only showing me car shows. Um, Obviously, there are personalization algorithms that do this, but a top 10 list that personalizes based on user preferences and not user to content preference, if that makes sense, would help with discovery of new TV shows, um, not simply just filtering you into a personalization bubble like other sections of the Netflix app uh, do today. So that's been my take on Netflix's top 10 features. If you agree or disagree, feel free to share your feedback um, uh, about this feature. Let's switch gears now to the main topic of this episode, which is last mile delivery apps. So let's start off with... um, Uh, looking at what these apps are and and also the different apps that I'm going to compare. So so I actually spent the whole week placing orders on Instacart, Walmart, Amazon, um, DoorDash, Postmates, as well as Shipt. So since COVID-19 spread around the world, um, if there's one industry that saw a rapid transition from offline consumption to online, it was probably the e-grocery industry. Many retailers just simply just woke up and uh, realize the convenience of e-grocery delivery and it looks like the winner among these apps uh, apparently seems to be instacart but it's not as simple as that and let's let's and, and as you're about to find out it might seem as though apps like instacart were actual pioneers of the last mile delivery that's not the case instacart was founded in 2012 but the first um, pizza delivery, if you will, if I'm, you know, if the comparison is right, was actually made in Italy in 1889. The pizza delivery is said to have been made for an order that had mozzarella cheese, tomatoes, and basil. Uh, what we call as a margarita pizza is said to have been ordered by the then queen of Italy, who was called 
wait for it, Queen Margarita. Some historic accounts show that's how the pizza, pizza got its name, um, but, but it's also disputed as well. So anyway, just coming back to grocery delivery, I think grocery delivery is kind of similar. You have the fresh produce that you have to deliver to people's homes, just like the hot pizzas. You also have to deliver reasonably quickly since these are essential groceries being delivered from stores uh, where you may run into inventory issues, but also some, sometimes these groceries are essential for um, same day consumption. So if you look at the current context, there are all of these different apps, but what happened earlier this week is we actually have a new player in the industry and that's Walmart. So Walmart launched Walmart Plus, an annual membership program that promises free unlimited delivery to members, very similar to Instacart's own Express program. They differentiate though by not adding any markups to in-store prices, unlike Instacart. Instacart has some 15 to 20% markup on, on the different stores, and obviously Instacart doesn't own the inventory as well. The challenge for these apps was simple. I was sure they'd have cracked speed at the same day delivery. They must have also cracked the temperature aspect of keeping the products fresh. Yes, but could they promise and deliver Clorox wipes during this pandemic? Uh, when I say promise, I mean, can you find the item online? Can you place an order for it? And then finally get it delivered, right? So for some basics, it's important to know why it took Amazon 23 years to launch grocery delivery since they were founded. When you think about it, it's such an essential part of your day-to-day -day life. You would think Amazon would have started off with grocery delivery back in 94. The key difference between grocery delivery and general merchandise is how they're stored in fulfillment centers and transported to your homes. Grocery delivery is largely done by delivering grocery items to your house from different stores. General merchandise, on the other hand, is largely done by delivering these items from fulfillment centers that are dedicated to stores, um, uh, they're dedicated to store these items. So why can't grocery items be stored in fulfillment centers? Most fulfillment centers don't have the capability to store fresh items. Uh, essentially the freezers, the coolers that you need in order to keep these items. It's also expensive to have these um, in a fulfillment center and also to open up more of these fulfillment centers, um, it's gonna be expensive to do this um, across the country because you can't really travel um, many hundred miles delivering grocery and fresh produce. So for a dry fulfillment center, you can actually have three strategically located fulfillment centers in the US and target two business day delivery for 90% of the households. This is great for, again, like I said, dry products and trucks that can travel many hundred miles, but you can't apply this model to grocery delivery, obviously. Um, so with stores, you already have this infrastructure. You're already storing these items, you're already displaying these items. But the problem this industry faces is with what they call as substitutes. So if you place an order for Clorox uh, wipes like I did, uh, you end up getting a Gatorade sports drink since the two look familiar when you look at them from a very far distance. If you think that was ridiculous, someone got fabric softener instead of frozen fish. Um, that's like ordering a DVD of the Lord of the Rings and getting Harry Potter instead just because Elijah Wood and Daniel Radcliffe look similar. Um, the primary cause for this is even the most advanced inventory systems cannot track if a box of eggs is on a shelf or is in a customer's cart until they've checked out. So when someone online is placing an order, they're likely to see the eggs online and instead end up getting Kinder Joy. This is also probably the inspiration behind Amazon Go, uh, Amazon's cashless store that uses computer vision to detect when an item has left the shelf and also when it finally gets checked out from uh, the store. So in absence of this technology being available at scale, so how do these different apps solve this problem? So Instacart by far is the best um, in that the app alerts you that an item is low in inventory before you even place the order. 
So you can prioritize a list of items that you want to pick substitutes for. So if I am keen on getting organic um, milk, I could pick a different brand of organic milk um, if uh, Instacart tells me that the inventory is going to be low. So, um, and I feel like this is probably the best way to mitigate it, right? So you think it's going to um, run out of inventory by the time the associate goes to pick up that item. And so you can pick a substitute and, and um, be able to manage that. Walmart, on the other hand, lets you enable or disable substitutes at the time of placing an order, but does not let you pick the substitutes in case any of those items run out of stock. Um, Shipped is also very similar to Instacart. It allows you to pick a backup item, and although there's no formal chat feature in the app, the shopper can actually text you and communicate. And in both cases, Instacart as well as Shipped, um, they can actually send you photos of the substitute item they're about to pick. Um, and if you respond within a few minutes, um, the, the shopper is actually going to be able to pick that item for you. So DoorDash allows you to pick substitutes before placing an order, but unless you initiate conversation with the Dasher, the item gets canceled, um, obviously gets refunded, but um, or you can modify it with the help of a customer service representative. Um, while Postmates does not even let you modify the order after it's, after it's placed. So clearly, although Instacart and Ship lead the way in terms of mitigating this problem, um, I don't think there's anyone that's actually solving this problem to the extent that we have done so for general merchandise and dry grocery. There are many instances where you depend on one or two items um, that you've ordered um, and, and it could have been the, the, the primary reason why you placed an order in the first place. For example, um, I wanted to buy birthday candles and found only Walmart had that item in stock. So I took my entire grocery order to Walmart um, but found out in the end that the candles were out of stock. So I got the other things but why would I go back to Walmart? Because Walmart promised that I would get those candles and I ended up not getting those candles. One player I haven't talked about so far though is Amazon. So remember they also own Whole Foods, uh, the premium grocery chain that has 500 stores across the country. And so their app Prime Now um, has Whole Foods and Amazon Fresh and it is super confusing to use um, the two stores uh, and to use the app in general. Um, so the two stores also have their own carts. So if I search for bread and it's found in both stores, it's listed twice. Um, and on top of that, you have to pick the stores you want each time you search for an item. Um, every item you add to the cart as a recommendation, which seems cluttered. Um, I don't really use those recommendations quite a lot. Um, and the very first time you try to add payment details and address, there's no back button. It's super user unfriendly. Um, I'm pretty sure they're working on a unified app that hopefully sorts this out. But for now, it's, it's, it's cumbersome to use. But what keeps them differentiated from uh, or what keeps Amazon differentiated from all these other apps that we've spoken about is how they fulfill these orders. So Amazon Fresh is fulfilled by micro fulfillment centers. Uh, that to me is going to be the key to winning this industry. Um, these micro fulfillment centers are smaller versions of fulfillment centers that we spoke about earlier. Um, and they can actually hold the assortment in a temperature controlled environment. They're generally 10 to 20,000 square feet in size. Um, they're pretty uh, low key in terms of their location, is, is in the size uh, and then the operations as well. And you also have crowdsourced uh, folks who are part of the gig economy who come and deliver these orders. And so the service probably has the least substitute percent since there are no customers walking around with carts in an Amazon fulfillment center. But obviously they do suffer a different problem. Um, although Amazon claims to not charge any markup, their prices are significantly higher than that of Walmart. And in fact, for some of them, they were 60 to 70% higher. And plus with Whole Foods in the picture, most of the assortment you need are available on Whole Foods and not on Amazon Fresh. And Whole Foods is the same store issues we talked about earlier with Instacart and other 
players that we saw even with walmart as well also it's impossible for amazon fresh to stock up fresh items and mirror them across micro fulfillment centers in the country as well as making them available to most households by being within 10 to 15 miles of driving distance so you can actually deliver within 30 minutes um, that's a pretty expensive um, proposition to uh, to make unless you reach a density that you could deliver to in a way that can be done economically. So which among the last mile delivery apps um, delivered the Clorox wipes, going back to the original question. So interestingly, apart from Postmates, all of them promised to deliver the Clorox, which means it was available online when I placed the order and I did add the item to the cart and I placed the order. As I already mentioned, DoorDash sent the Gatorade item as a substitute, Instacart, refunded for not having the item in stock and Walmart was no different. It was Amazon Fresh who delivered the Clorox wipes. Don't get me wrong, uh, wipes are of course an endangered species, they are not available in stock across the country and this test was to see if these retailers um, promised to have it delivered and ended up cancelling um, and it was um, in stock on the platforms when I was ordering. And yes, I'm exaggerating this use case here, but I think this is important. If you order something for last mile delivery for a specific occasion like birthday candles or birthday cake, and you have both of them substituted like I experienced, you are likely to then go into a store nearby and buy those items, defeating the original purpose of these apps in the first place. In summary, only the Amazon Fresh order had 100% fill rate. All other orders across Walmart, Instacart, and the other apps we spoke about had at least one item missing. Some of them had um, half of the cart missing. Um, all of them delivered same day. I know that states are reopening and there's more delivery capacity for these last mile delivery apps. But it's impressive to think some of some apps like DoorDash and Postmates were able to deliver essentials in less than 40 minutes. Instacart in three hours, Walmart in seven hours, and Amazon in three hours. This to me is a seismic shift. Uh, with reliance on UPS, FedEx, and the US Postal Service, we had orders come the next day, two days, or three to five days with varying costs. Uh, with the gig economy and the ability to leverage local stores for delivery, the infrastructure is able to ship orders much quicker than following legacy methods of cutoff times, as was the case with UPS and FedEx. Assortment-wise, I was mightily impressed with Walmart. They delivered anything that was available at the store. I didn't test out any high-value items like laptops and PlayStation consoles, but those were available to order on the app. Um, so anything available in the store closest to your zip was available for unlimited delivery to your home same day. Price-wise, all of these services have an annual fee. Walmart has its shiny new Walmart Plus program for $98. Instacart's Express is $99. DoorDash has its Dash Pass for $99. $9.99 a month, ship charges $99 per year, Amazon Prime costs $119 per year, and Costco um, charges their $60 annual membership um, and charges a huge product markup on their Instacart service that does same-day delivery for them. Um, and so this product markup became an interesting finding as well as I was doing the research. Um, so if you were charging a 20% markup as does Costco, if you have a basket that is $100 worth, you're actually paying $20 to Costco for the delivery. Whereas with services like Walmart, you're paying $7.99 for delivery if you didn't sign up for the Walmart Plus annual fee. Um, and, and that's the same case with Amazon as well. There's no additional markup on the prices. Although like I observed earlier, Amazon did charge um, slightly higher than Walmart in terms of certain items. And then for certain items, it was 60% higher than Walmart. So yes, DoorDash and Postmates too, uh, by the way, charge customers of restaurants and retailers markups that are beyond 10 to 15%. So 
from an experience point of view, Amazon Fresh wins, no doubt. Um, with its ability to keep substitution low, the launch of its latest store in LA that has microfoswimming capabilities for online orders uh, powered by robots, that model is likely to win in the long term. And of course, they did the impossible, promised and delivered the Clorox wipes. Walmart wins on price and assortment by a huge margin, but Instacart wins when you look at the app features and how they consider an order as a fluid entity. Um, you can make the you can make whatever changes you want um, to the order until the shopper has reached the store. So for me, when I have to pick an overall winner from an app perspective, it has to be Instacart for now. But I strongly believe Amazon is likely to win from the operational side as well as the app in the long term. It's also interesting that the likes of Apple, Google, and Microsoft haven't really ventured into the vastly growing e-grocery delivery industry. Google's delivering general merchandise items by partnering with the likes of Target, Best Buy, and Costco. They do also deliver dry grocery um, uh, same day as well, um, but they haven't announced any plans to venture into fresh um, and, and you know frozen kind of grocery. So if any of these players can solve the e-grocery delivery problem and the reliability of how general merchandise e-commerce works today, um, that's gonna be an incredible moat um, to have that's, that's gonna be at least protected for a few years. Um, but what part of this problem will they want to solve is going to be the interesting part. For example, Facebook has ventured into e-commerce by taking on Shopify and enabling small-time merchants to start marketplaces on their platforms that include Instagram and WhatsApp. Uh, Microsoft, on the other hand, is sticking to cloud computing and powering e-commerce services rather than doing anything customer-facing. Apple has stayed away, but don't count out any of these players. There's a ton of opportunity in this industry, and even with the pandemic, um, the e-grocery only accounts for 10% of the overall grocery market share. And that just shows the opportunity that's still out there and the problems facing the industry, which the likes of Walmart and Amazon um, are yet to solve, the latter being the one in the lead perhaps at this point. Thanks for tuning in uh, to this episode. Um, do share your feedback on the email address provided in the, subs uh, in the description. Um, that is appwars123 at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.